0: On the national level, politics is mostly hot garbage. If anything actually is achieved there, it didn't start there. The idea may have started in a town or a county or a state. Local governance is the place to start. Sometimes, even mostly opposing groups find common ground. My guest today, a libertarian has found common ground with another third party on one key issue, and on that issue, they have formed a coalition to advance a shared philosophy. Politics may be strange bedfellows, but philosophical coalitions are good ideas. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 125. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello, folks. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Spice up your winter with spices from Savory Spice. Check out the amazing recipes if you want some inspiration or create your own feast. Join their loyalty club and get special surprises and a free birthday gift. Use my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com slash savoryspice. My guest today is Will Hobson. In PC, that's pre-COVID, Will was a bartender. Now, Will is a member of the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus and organizes for the state of Oregon. He's also an anti-war activist. In addition to seeking liberty, Will is a forager, and as we'll hear, there is more than a bit to find in the hills of Oregon. Welcome, Will. Hey, thanks. Nice to be here. Well, it's nice to have you here, and you are, I think, the first... Or we're going. Oh, that may not be true. The cheese later. You're the second or going in, but the first one to talk about liberty. So <laughs> there's some somehow we'll make this the first, one way or the other. All right. Uh, so before we get rolling in here, I want to just one of the things that I find interesting, and kind of even for myself, is how did you come to liberty? Because I think most everybody that we run into wasn't a libertarian; they were something else. So. What is your what is your story about that?
1: Well, uh, I grew up uh, in a house that kind of I, I didn't really know the politics of my parents. They're I think a little bit too uh, poor to really care too much about politics, and they cared more about survival. <laughs> so um, uh, my dad came from kind of like a Southern Baptist, you know, uh, uh, background. Uh, they were missionaries actually in South America. So very religious. Uh, my mother came from a really, really poor family in uh, Tillamook County. Um, you know, kind of living in tents by the river, kind of poor, and uh, they were uh, Mormon. So uh, it was kind of an interesting convergence of religions uh, in my household. And my dad kind of won out, and I, I ended up going to lots of lots of lots of uh, Baptist, uh, you know, church. Uh, churches on Sundays, and um, I didn't really start getting into politics until I was in high school. And um, I I liked watching things like The Daily Show and making fun of George Bush because he was stupid, hmm. <laughs> and he uh, just you know he couldn't keep his foot out of his mouth. And I I guess it was just watched a lot of like the. You know the wars after nine eleven. i kept on seeing things that our country was doing abroad and thinking well that's really that's really messed up and uh i i i don't know like i i ended up being agnostic but i always kind of had a little bit of that you know hey if you guys are all you know purporting to be christian and not you know thinking murder is wrong and you know shouldn't we you know, not be executing these wars that are, you know, you know, slaughtering innocent people in the Middle East. And uh, I was, I, I at, at that point, once I became like a young adult, I was like, Hey, I, I'm a Democrat. I'm, I'm anti-war with everyone else. You know, I'm, I'm here to look, look let's kick uh, the Republicans out. They're the war party. Let's, let's end these wars and get a, get a, you know, a Democrat in office in 08. And um, I remember, the first political contribution I ever gave to was to uh, Dennis Kucinich. Um, he was, uh, yeah, he was running, uh, in 08 to be president of the democratic party. And, uh, he's a short, kind of a short guy, kind of not your like average politician, you know, chiseled Kendall. And I actually kind of liked that because that kind of person kind of turns me off. It kind of like immediately sets off my, you know, BS detector. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, the, the, nicer the haircut, basically the, the, the more I'm skeptical. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I remember I donated like $10 cause that's all I could spare. I was working as a temp worker in a factory, but I really wanted to like help. I, I felt like I needed to do something to, to boost them up. And I felt like if I didn't do something to boost up the candidate that wanted to have, uh, a department of peace, uh, I, then I, I was telling my, there's a little voice in my head that was saying, well, then you don't really care if you're not willing to do this very basic, easiest thing, like just toss him $10, you know? Right. So, um, uh, yeah, so he obviously wasn't selected, uh, as the nominee for, uh, the Democratic party in 08, uh, and it was Barack Obama and I was like, okay, well, he does say some good things on war, I guess. Uh, he's not as, you know, peace, you know, forward as Kucinich was. Uh, and, you know, and he's a black guy. So I thought that, that was cool. Like, I actually liked the idea of having a black president. It's not like my, my absolute highest priority, but I was like, there's, that sounds great to me. Uh, and then, you know, honestly, the big thing was, he wasn't John McCain.
0: <laughs> <He> wasn't, <laughs> it turns out they all are.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I i remember watching his inauguration in 08, and I was like, and I, I had i I was by myself in my apartment, and I was unemployed because I just got laid off my job. And I was sitting and watching my computer. I was eating a bowl of cereal by in front of the computer, watching his inauguration stream on my computer. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, we finally got Bush out. I had a countdown clock, and I was like, God, Bush is out. Finally, we're we're gonna do something. And I can't. Describe how stabbed in the back I felt. I just felt like somebody just took a knife and just plunged it right between my ribs. And uh, uh, watching all the wars start, all the uh, terrible violations of civil liberties that happened um, once once he got into office. I, I remember almost crying when I found out that the United States was openly admitting that we had a kill list. You know, like, we just, yeah, we're just admitting that we can kill U.S. citizens and we don't have to take them through due process. I I remember the FBI just essentially, you know, admitted that, you know, to the public. Like, they didn't even have the shame of saying, oh, no, of course we don't do that. They just said, like, yeah, at this point, we just have to admit it. And I felt so bitter and angry at the Democratic Party and so mad that other Democrats weren't speaking up and saying anything, you know, um. You know, uh, Will Ferrell in Zoolander, you know, when he's screaming, he's like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Like <laughs> It felt like that for like a couple of years. And, uh, you know, uh, while that was happening, while I was watching us kind of descend into, you know, radios, the, the Democratic Party descend into radio silence on, uh, on that, I, I was listening to Peter Schiff because when I got laid off my job, I kind of wanted to learn more about the economy and be like, hey, why – why did I get laid off? Why, why 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 is this happening? And I happened to stumble on a Peter Schiff was right video where he was just saying like, hey, this is what happens in the economy. This is, well, you know, uh, these bubbles get created, you know, because the low interest rates by the Fed. And I was like, oh, that sounds really plausible. I think that might be what's going on. And, and I followed his radio show and, uh, you know, I, I still kind of, I guess at that point, I still kind of felt like a Democrat and I still kind of, I, I felt it like an anti-war person that was kind of politically homeless. And then I started talking, I started hearing Tom Woods' guest spots come on to Peter Schiff's show. And I was like, no, this guy, this Peter Schiff's get, gets it, but this guy really gets it. This guy's like a, the, the, uh, if you look up a gentleman and a scholar, if for some reason those two were, those two words were in the same spot in the dictionary, there'd be a picture of Tom Woods you know, he was just, he he explained everything so elegantly and uh, eloquently, excuse me. And um, I just really, yeah, I I was like, I get it now. Like, and uh, I never joined the Libertarian Party at that point. uh, But I felt ideologically like a Libertarian.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that for and, and maybe there's a reason that the, the people you find on the internet, like, like, we'll get to the point how you and I came to discover each other. But at some point, there's there's got to be a Woods rule for one of them is no matter who you vote for, you get John McCain. Yep. There's got to be some other Woods rule that no matter what libertarian you are, you're, hey, <laughs> you here here by Tom Woods. Somehow that happened. Somehow he's in there. Um but anyway, uh, I wanted to ask you a question, and you may not know the answer to this, but you made a comment that your mother was Mormon and married your dad. Now, just that sounds like a really big, bold step to make in a Mormon household. Do you right. Know if, was it?
1: Um, I, I think my family, there's a phrase that goes around kind of like Jack Mormons, uh, and it's basically like, well... You know, it's kind of like the, the Catholics that, you know, go to, you know, church on, you know, Christmas and, you know, Easter. And it's like, like, yeah, Mormons, but, you yeah, know, well, we're, we're loose on it. Like they okay. were, it was definitely, I think, from what I've heard from my family, my grandfather was a, a more of a Mormon of convenience because he was so poor in the Mormon church. You know, again, I'm agnostic, but like, I'll give a religious organas- organization some credit. Mormon church seems extremely organized and they take care of their own. And I I don't know, a little, uh, not even a little part, a big part of me really appreciates that, you know, when you have a, you have a close knit community that takes care of each other. And I think, you know, they were just in a spot where they're like, Hey, we're poor. And these people are offering help. Well, I guess we're Mormons now.
0: (laughs) Well, I just it, it was something that was curious. And I think that the, these kinds of, bold moves and and it may have i don't know if she felt any anxiety about it but i think that there's something about the dna of a person who's willing to make a stand like that and i don't this isn't the show to discover if the dna of boldness and contrariness is passed on it's an interesting idea i'm not smart enough to discover it but i it just seems interesting because i think libertarians live on on that edge of
1: being contrary oh i i, I i'm i'm over the edge <laughs> well, I'm contrary well, almost by by a rule
0: <laughs> right so uh so i'm going to ask you a loaded question sure what does libertarianism mean to you and what do two questions and what do most people get wrong
1: uh I think libertarianism to me if I, I i like the idea of a very um thin libertarianism I think that's the word uh where you like yeah, I'm a big tent you know like don't it, as long as basically the the two main concepts i think if you if you have these you're essentially a libertarian even if you have like in your head some views that might contradict it because you you know i think we all have a little bit of you know uh some things that we still hold dear that are hard for us to let go uh but essentially if you believe in the non-aggression principle or some version of it you know or, or or in general you agree with the sentiment and if you believe in self-ownership and you try to apply that you know in in your life you're a libertarian
0: well i think that and i agree with you i think so for the people who don't know what the nap is is the you know, the non-aggression principle it was basically, don't hurt people.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the golden rule, you know? It's a little bit more specific, but it's essentially, don't hurt other people and don't take their things, you know?
0: <laughs> I had
1: a, a couple
0: of weeks ago, a friend of, of family from from high school, actually was a good friend of my brother's, um, posted posted something, and I forgot what the question was, and it was something about, aren't these your libertarian principles? And I said, well... Tell me about my principles. And I said, basically it's don't hurt people. Libertarian principles are don't hurt people, don't take their stuff. Libertarian philosophy is explaining what is harm, what is taking, and what is stuff. And and then that's and then it gets into lots and lots of weeds, which is well, entertaining, but also sometimes irritating. But that's also <laughs> maybe another show.
1: Sure. Um, Yeah. I I think that it, you know, if you try to keep it, you know, start from the root of it, which is like, Hey, if you don't own your body, if if, if you don't own your body, then who does, but you, um, and if you can start, and that's why I think self ownership is such an important thing to, you kind of have to tack on to the, to the non-aggression principle, because you could say, don't, don't hurt other people. Don't take their stuff. But if another person can own you or, or, you know, in some way, then the non-aggression principle doesn't really function super well. So you really have to say, like, you own your own body. And then from that flows all of your other property rights.
0: Well, I again, I agree with you. I just yeah. know having had a conversation with somebody uh, using that phrase, I own myself, and it, now I part of his response may have been Goading intentionally, part of it may have legitimately been that's what he heard, but all he heard was owning human is slavery. So, oh, come on. so there's there's a group of people who won't listen to that in in a context for conversation. They'll just go to an extreme and, and now you're just you're just more battles because
1: yeah. <laughs> they're um, trying to win the argument. they're not trying to understand the point.
0: Right. They don't yeah. want to
1: listen. They just yeah. want to, they want to
0: best you and, and then say, look, I won. And well, that's, yeah, that's actually a good point. Um, so one of the reasons that I'm interested in speaking to you is, uh, a recent Facebook post gave you credit for, uh, as a member of the Libertarian party, I want you to provide the details mm-hmm. for reaching out to the green party. Mm-hmm. Now, Tell us why you did that, and what do you hope to accomplish?
1: Well, uh, I will say when you asked me earlier, like how I how I came to libertarianism, and I said I started off as like an anti-war Democrat. I I never dropped being anti-war. I always I carry that with me, and uh, it's kind of one of those things where like I know I'm right about this like (laughs) i don't have to it doesn't matter if i'm a libertarian or if i'm a green or if i'm a democratic socialist if you're anti-war you're that's i I, I can't imagine how that could be wrong you know to want to protect other humans and live in a society where we don't slaughter each other and create wars because of we our our nation has an interest in it um i always carried that with me and that's always going to be my highest ideal i'm anti-war before i'm a libertarian so uh yeah so i'm anti-war first i'm libertarian second and then so i have no problem finding other people whose guiding stars being anti-war and working with them to stop wars uh, i would love to get to a place where we could have all of the things that we agree with settled and figured out all the really high you know important issues um uh, just kind of wiped off the slate and now we can, okay, now we can, you know, battle over, you know, whether medicine should be, you know, completely socialized or whether it should be completely free market. You know, we can have these, you know, you know, important battles, but they're, when when it's compared to what we're doing in in Yemen and Afghanistan and Iraq and all these other places around the world, how we're just, it's, There's just nothing more important than that. So uh, if working with a Green Party person helps me stop that, I'm morally compelled to do so. I think,
0: well, one, I agree. I don't know how somebody could justify being pro-war. That doesn't really make any sense. Although plenty of people, I suppose, would claim that they are. Mm -hmm. But there's... One of the things that really interested me about this move was something that Michael Bolden has told me that if there's a group that 95% of the time, I fundamentally disagree with them, but on one issue, maybe it's gun control, maybe it's uh, the the, uh, license plate readers, maybe it's the cell phone simulator towers, whatever the issue is, if we agree that this thing needs to be addressed and we can work toward an end to get rid of it or at least diminish it, then Michael's going to work with anybody on that issue that they agree on. And I'd, I'd say, well, that's really, it sounds like such a simple idea, but I think it's a really advanced concept because most people, and who do I know? What do I know? It seems to me that most people would be aligned with the 95% and focus on remaining an enemy as opposed to finding a cord, even on the sliver, to advance an idea and an ideal that you think is worth pursuing. So I guess kudos to you for recognizing that, well, we may not agree on a lot, and maybe that's true, you do, but this one thing is really worth and 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 working together to to fix so that's a big deal i think that's impressive
1: yeah and it also shows that you know our our priority is you know our our principles like we like we actually want to get this stuff done we will we don't want to just have um you know a little you know modeled united nations essentially for american politics and play pretend and play dress up I actually want to end wars. So, <laughs> right, uh, and um, you know, honestly, the the guys that we talked to from the Green Party uh, that day, we had an in person meeting. They were some of those guys had been protesting since the Vietnam War, and they were just a treasure trove of information. It was it was like one gentleman there was. he he was just listing off all the research he'd done. He has his own little radio, you know, local uh, radio show that he does. And, and honestly, this guy could give Scott Horton a run for his money. Uh, if you guys don't know who Scott Horton is, by the way, he's essentially the libertarian Stephen Hawking of foreign policy. (laughs) So, uh, this guy could like, if you had like, you put these two guys in a room, they could literally talk until the, the sun enveloped the earth. So, uh, (laughs) <laughs> it was, it was amazing. And they're all super down for helping. Um, uh, and I, I know in some places, some, some people were asking me like, Hey, uh, why are you talking to greens? You know, there was a couple people online that were like, Hey, why are you talking to greens? We don't want to work with, you know, people who are like espousing, you know, socialism and fascism, which I think is funny that fascism is now just whatever you disagree with. <laughs>
0: Yes, that's. Uh, I think that's. And I think pretty soon, Webster's is going to change the definition to read that. So
1: yeah, it, it reminds you of like Princess Bride. Like, like you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the uh, those guys again. Yeah, they're just. Uh, they're not your typical greens, and we it was very quick to that we could tell. There's definitely a strain of, uh, and this kind of gets into a little bit deeper of why I am the way I am and like why I think, I think libertarian, the libertarian party could actually do a lot better in Oregon. Uh, uh, it, that it, it, for recruitment anyway, um, we there's like a strain of person in Oregon, especially Western Oregon um, that is anti-war, anti-authoritarian and just like totally counterculture. And that, you know, if you want to call it, you know, like hippies, you know, or um, people who, you know, just want to be left alone, people who care about the environment, you know, and don't trust the government. There's like this strain of the anti-authoritarian left in, in Oregon that would could very easily hop over to the Libertarian Party. A lot of adults were like that. Um, I remember as a kid, I used to go to the Saturday market in downtown Portland and people were, you know, smoking weed, you know, and like little, you know, little places off to the side and not getting caught. They were, everyone was just like selling stuff in ca- for cash and I'm sure we're reporting it on their taxes. It's just, uh, of it, course, it was, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's such a, so many adults when I was a kid were cut, uh, of this, uh, this kind of like anti authoritarian counterculture kind of cloth, and I, I think I came out the same way. So uh, it's just I had to be exposed to a couple of like economic ideas, and now I'm a libertarian. So
0: perhaps the answer is fairly obvious. So I'm going to ask you, what do you think? So I'm just you I live on the other side of the mountains, so I don't have exposure to the Western. Western philosophy, the Western lifestyle, and nor do I have access to the Western mushrooms, which I really would like to get. They're so the good. The show. Oh, they're so good. Uh, I, well, I mean, it's dry on this side. It's just terrible. You might get more, more a- morels on that side mm-hmm. in we the burn no, areas. Yeah, no snow, no water. So uh, we'll see. I hope okay. so because we yeah. had sucked last year. Given that these people are here, but they have this anti authoritarian uh, spirit. How do we get them? How do we? I mean, how do you access two or twenty anti-authoritarians into a group?
1: I think you do it exactly the way that I'm I'm trying to. Where you say like, "Hey, let's take our top issue and let's work together," and then they they see the the people that they're working with. They see how how hard they're striving for a goal that they hold up really high as well, and they say like, "You know what?" These libertarians are not—they're uh, not half bad. They're—I uh, actually didn't know a lot about them, and I kind of thought they're all just kind of religious nuts or like uh, re- Republicans that like to smoke weed, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, wow, there there is there's something else here. There, there it goes a lot deeper. And then hey, they start getting exposed to uh, our ideas; we get exposed to maybe some of theirs. I really don't—I don't fear exposure to new ideas if i for some reason become a green in the future i doubt it but let's just say hypothetically i do then i followed truth and i i i I found a deeper level of truth than than i had before i i don't fear evolving as a person i guess Uh, I, i think i'm pretty much set at this point but if i ever basically if i say at this point in my life I know everything I'm done. I, I I don't think that is an intelligent conclusion. I think you should always kind of walk around with the assumption that anything that you believe there is the possibility you could be wrong about and keep your mind open to new ideas. Because if you, if you do that, you're essentially like the Borg of, uh, uh, of uh, ideology. You'll just get stronger and stronger and stronger. And you don't, you don't have to, worry about you know uh constantly uh, being called like hey you you're not open to new ideas your, your mind's closed off because you're you're constantly under the assumption that you know you could be wrong so thus you need to keep uh listening to new ideas to make sure that you're not
0: you know there's i get two things one of the, one is it sounds like you're saying is live the socratic life and yeah, maybe. Ev- everything's in question. No truth. Is, well, there are precious few truths that are, that, that are immutable. And I may be using the wrong word there. But everything else is subject to more information. Uh, but the other thing is that there, in, in the realm of people, this is where it gets really crazy. And it makes me insane. When people tell you or they tell me or somebody else that your mind is closed, the gaslighting that happens right then and there <laughs> is so angering, yet it's it it, it is never well. I won't say never. It's so rarely addressed as gaslighting, but instead the person is now on the defensive, and now you have to demonstrate that my mind isn't isn't closed, and to prove it, I have to listen to and accept your ideas. Although that's That's not what an open mind means. And so that's a two way street. (laughs) Well, see, that's the thing. It's only you and I agree that it's a two way street. But the vast majority of people out there who are telling us we're not open minded don't want it to be a two way street. They want it to be a one way street and they want it to be their one way. That you're if you're not following us, well you're in the wrong. And that's we're seeing a lot of that playing out right now in politics.
1: Yep. And the only way we can do that is be openly defiant and call out their BS and uh, let our actions speak for us.
0: You know, I don't think Oregonians as uh, people in Oregon, I don't think are suddenly different than the people in California and Washington and any of the other several states. And. They may have their own – California certainly has its own problems, but I think there are plenty of people in California who would prefer not to follow the overlords. So using your example of working with the Greens on your issue of the anti-war, what – how can – this is a really big question – how can people – find a way in their state or in their county or in their community to work with the people they think they're opposed to for a better end on whatever the issue is. And I have no, I mean, how could I possibly know what the issues are? But what's important to them needs their attention. So do you have any suggestions on how they start doing that?
1: Uh, well, I think just the the best way is to just reach out an open hand. Say, like, hey, if you're a messenger for peace, then you have to be a peacemaker. You have to go out and say, hey, I know we disagree on some things, but this is so radically important to me. And I know this is important to you, that if we could just work on this one thing and then we can part ways... If that's what you want, and we don't have to work on anything else, we just work on this one thing that we all know is wrong and stop it. Why? Why wouldn't we? You know. And I, I think other people. The, the good thing about that is that I think it'll be. It's kind of like when penguins are uh, trying to test the waters to see if there's a, you know, an orca in, in the water that's about to eat them. They, they, they kind of all get up to the iceberg, and like one falls off. They look down, make sure. That penguin didn't get devoured, and then another couple more penguins go, and then it's just a flood. And so it, it's uh, it doesn't take a lot to break the dam, but somebody's got to break the dam. And I'm I guess I'm saying I'm trying to break the dam, and people with me are trying to break the dam here in Oregon. So, and, and I think that the establishment fears that with all of its being. I I, I think they they if they saw because I don't want to just recruit the Green Party. I want to recruit the People's Party, Democratic Socialists. Uh, if the Patriot Party was anti-war, I'd recruit them. I don't know yet. I haven't seen their platform yet. I actually went onto their message boards and was like, hey, what's your guys' platform? And no one said anything to me. <laughs> uh, so they're a little too disorganized. But, like, yeah, anybody who's anti-war wants to work with me, I'll, I'll work with them, even if they're, like, a reprehensible sh- If our common goal is peace and working with them gets me Gets peace, then that's what i want to do so i and the the, the nice thing is that once you work with people they, they'll respect you they'll be like hey so and so can get the job done and uh yeah even if we are going to end up fighting in the future like hey our our battles will be much more civil and there'll be a lot more understanding because i know this at least part of this person is a good person because they helped me with this issue that i, I held so dear
0: you are a member of the Facebook group Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. Now, for those who don't know who was Mises, um, he was a an economist and probably, well, I don't know his bio, but that's easy to figure out. Going to figure out who Mises was, who Rothbard was. Uh, those are easy for you listeners who don't know to go find out. It's easy to just look it up and go to Mises.org. Um, I don't know. So my question to you is your reading path. Was it traditional reading Mises and Rothbard and possibly Hoppe or were you on a different path? Because I'm not sure. I think I don't want to make this an age thing, but I think that there is a younger group of people. uh, Michael and Michael High the founder of the group is one of them. He, obviously here with Mises, but I think there's more going on. Do you have any insight into that?
1: You know, honestly, I'm not as well-read as some other people in my caucus. Um, and I I do own some of the books, uh, and I do I do try to make time to read. I've got a little one, though. It keeps me pretty busy. I, usually at night I have to like read to her for about half an hour to an hour. So uh, I do try to get some reading in. Uh, I do own books from Mises and Rothbard. Uh, and i am tr- I am trying to get to them uh but i I end up consuming a lot of my stuff in the form of uh articles honestly uh on on websites so I'll read a lot of the smaller works just because i can I can kind of check out of those a little bit a little bit easier uh when it's time and I can come back to them it, it it's a little bit harder for me to like come back to like a thick volume like human action and you know kind of remember you know, what I, what I had just read. Yes, <laughs> it, I'm... It, So uh, I, 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 will, I will freely admit I need to read more, but um, I, I, I feel like I've had a lot of time to test my ideas against a lot of different things. And uh, I, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I love it when people suggest books, I should definitely read more books. I, I, I just ordered actually a bunch. I ordered Scott Horton's enough already time to end the war uh, on terror. And um, I also have like a little pocket guide now to Robert's rules of order for, uh, for conventions. So
0: it's actually very, it's, it's boring as possible as to, it's just, it's like reading. It's just boring. It's just all there is to it. But for running a meeting, boy, that's a tag for somebody. Um, it's really essential just to have order and and keep the meeting going along and then that, that's that's not it wasn't intended to be a veiled acknowledgement of somebody but you who know who i'm talking about i'm not going to say his name it's like voldemort <laughs> um yeah you you've mentioned scott horton a couple of times and and most of the people who would be attracted to this this episode for the libertarian part know who Scott Horton is, and you mentioned him earlier. Uh, I'm going to put a link to the new book you just mentioned on the show notes page, which is culinarylibertarian.com slash 125. Uh, We sort of addressed this, but I just want to see if we can get more specifics. For people interested in doing something even as small as their town, uh, is there some place, is there a website that exists that – can give them some place to begin. Because I think one of the hardest parts to starting something is starting. What do you do first?
1: Yeah, I mean, on the anti-war front, you know, it can just be as simple as call your representatives and let them know, hey, me and my friends don't like you uh, giving money to, you know, foreign dictators, and we don't like dropping bombs uh, on – you know, other countries. Why are we still in these wars? You know, just give them a piece of your mind. If like that, that stuff actually is helpful because the more stuff like that, that comes into their inbox and floods, cause they'll, they don't, they, they don't personally read it, but their aides do. And if that stuff starts stacking up, they're going to go to their boss and go like, Hey man, we've got a real problem here. Uh, your constituents are getting more and more anti-war. Um, you probably need to throw them a bone here pretty soon. And, uh, i right now that's how the system works um but uh yeah it could get more complicated you could you know try to run for office yourself you could try to start your own party i wouldn't recommend it uh <laughs> but uh you could certainly do that um you could you know try to educate yourself read up more go to sites like uh anti or the gray zone um uh, you know, what was funny, was like none of the guys that we talked to in the Green Party knew who Scott Horton was. And I just thought, oh, everyone who's anti war must know who Scott Horton is. And they're like, no, never heard of him. And I was like, you guys are like borderline scholars in anti war matters and you don't know who Scott Horton is. And I was like, man, we've got a lot of bridges to build. <laughs>
0: that, that seems a glaring absence there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I. Well, and-
0: you know, Scott has no shortage of appearances on other podcasts and no shortages of interviews of his own. So I don't know how they missed them.
1: Yeah. It's I, again, I think we get into our own little echo chambers and our own little bubbles and we never reach out and I, Hey, I'm guilty of this too. Like sometimes it's just easier to stay in libertarian land on Facebook and stuff. But uh, I do try to make a mental effort to like, listen to different people. Uh, I like, to talk to people on like the Jimmy Dore show, uh, I like to uh, go over to like um, you know people who are pretty much just the MAGA people who like follow um, oh, what's his name uh, Matt Gates, representative from Florida. Right. Uh, I, I honestly think he's the the guy you know, in that over in that part over that you know political side of the spectrum that's going to inherit the Trump movement. And he says a lot of really interesting things for a Republican. He talks about like microplastics in the ocean, and talks about you know ending wars and the fact that his constituency—he lives like uh, on one of the major bases in the Gulf uh, uh, Mexico, uh, where there's just like this huge military population in the Florida Panhandle. I forget what the base is called, but they—he um, has so many constituents that have been harmed by wars because they're veterans. That I think that's what. Uh, kind of came what helped make him so anti-war is because that's what his consist- constituents desired. And, um, but he's, yeah, he's like the furthest thing from a Jimmy door, you know, <laughs> but I like listening to both of them because I like to understand not only my enemies, but my potential allies better. So,
0: well, Jimmy is an in- interesting point. And so Jimmy is, Jimmy's the leftist, but he's also, and in- Jimmy's a, a comedian who isn't afraid to call out the left for their shenanigans. Because, I mean, I don't just silliness needs to be called out no matter who's doing it. So Jimmy's not afraid to do that. The other one, as a reporter who does that, is Glenn Greenwald, who's taken yeah. some serious, serious slack for for standing up for what's right. Doesn't matter. What, I mean, right and wrong shouldn't be ideological, but somehow it seems in many cases to be, but that's, so you're right. So people who, now I'm, I'm guessing for Jimmy, Jimmy can speak for himself, but I think he puts, he puts right and wrong first and politics second. Based on what I've watched on his shows and, and how he presents the stuff. Yes, it's done in a way to ridicule and get laughs, but at the same time, he's also making a point. And I think the point is, Right is right, and if you're not right, I'm going to nail you for it. I don't care where you live.
1: Absolutely, I think that you know gets into political tribalism, and and that's why you know I'm not like uh, you know Team Gold, you know, like Libertarian for life, da 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 da. Because like, hey, if this party screws me over, like the Democrats did, if they back stab me in the back on anti-war stuff, I'll leave in a heartbeat, and I'll work hard to destroy you. <laughs> so uh, I am. Uh, and, and, and I try very hard to convert Democrats and, and call them out on the, their lies. You know, like I, I, I recently moved to Cascade Locks, which is in the Columbia Gorge, but I used to live in Portland. I used to have like all my coworkers were, you know, pretty much Democrats or liberals and some ilk. And uh, I used to have to say, you know, everyone would crap on Trump. And I said, like, OK, we're going to say like one bad thing about Obama. I'm not afraid to. It's like, yeah, Trump's, you know. Not good in, in these ways, but you know, Obama's a war criminal. You know, <laughs> he b- he blew up a hospital for Doctors Without Borders, and I don't even think he really apologized. Um, seems pretty awful. And they would kind of be like, yeah, 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 like, oh, will the libertarian buzzkills here? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, this is this, this stuff's important. You know, and this is why I'm not I'm not with you guys anymore because you're not you don't have the the balls to stand up and say, "Hey, uh, our tribe is doing some really messed up stuff. Should we even be in this tribe anymore?" <laughs> and that's why I like Jimmy and people like uh, Matt Gates because they are, in some ways, fearless to, and they'll call out their own tribe for their BS. And I'll do that in a heartbeat too. Uh, I I put truth over you know tribalism any day of the week. Well, it's it's a great place to be, but it's not always easy. Yeah, and that's the thing is that it's easy to be part of a group, and you know you don't want to lose. So, so many people are worried of losing their their social circle and saying an errant thing that would get them kicked out of polite society. And you know what? If that's what it takes to be in polite society, I don't want to be in polite society. I want to be in the most impolite society possible.
0: That's your that's your Woody Allen moment. I don't yeah. want to be a part of any group that would have me as a member. maybe before we go on let's take a moment for a word from Jake about his Tasting Anarchy podcast Hey everyone, Jake here,
1: host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a Liberty Lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or tastinganarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and Liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink.
0: Uh, All right. So I want to shift gears here a bit because this is just my show and I can do that. I want to shift in just a little period here. We have some short answer questions which have nothing to do with politics. But if that's your answer, have at it. Uh, What is, uh, uh, sorry, wrong question first. Of the five flavors, salty, sour, bitter, sweet, and umami, which one do you enjoy the most? Umami. What's your favorite food?
1: Uh let's see. Uh Someone asked me this the other day and I had like a really immediate answer but for some reason that answer isn't immediately coming to me. Um I really like I really like ramen, like an actual really good like Japanese style ramen, you know, where they they have uh you know the broth that's boiled for like days and um I really like those things. Anything with mushrooms in it. Yeah, again, I kind of seek out, um, you know, meats and mushrooms and vegetables. I, uh, I, 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 anything that creates the umami effect. I'm pretty, pretty down for. What's your least favorite food? My least favorite food. The, they they have something called black eggs uh, at like like a dim sum restaurants or like Chinese breakfast. Restaurants, uh, and it's basically like a, for an egg that's been fermented and it's like turned black on the outside. Um, and those are horrible, vi- horribly vile and nasty. And I'll never eat one again. So. <laughs> but mostly, I have a pretty wide palate. I'll eat. I'm kind of the goat of the of my family. I'll I'll eat all the leftovers that nobody wants. And but uh, yeah, that thing I was not a fan of.
0: What gets you excited?
1: Uh, I really like holidays and hanging out with friends and i miss that terribly this pandemic has been just awful for that um uh, i i really enjoy going to bars with friends and hanging out especially if it's on like a holidays and everything's decorated i like uh you know uh i like seeing the lights i like going to plays um Those, you know, those little things to like look forward to or what kind of gives life meaning. (laughs) And those have been largely subtracted from life now. So um, if those could be returned as quickly as possible, that would be great. (laughs) And This may be obvious, but what turns you off? That, no, uh, I I would say hypocrisy (laughs) too. I, it grates on me and I can't not call it out even when it's probably a good idea for me not to. Maybe that's a little bit of my uh, op- oppositional defiance disorder, but I've gotta gotta call it out. And when people call it out in me, it's it's pretty devastating. But I appreciate it because I I feel like it. Yeah, again, it, I, if I'm going to be calling it out, I I better have as little of it myself as possible. What sound do you love? I really love the sound of wind uh going through uh fir and pine trees. That whooshing sound like the air is getting scrubbed is like one of my favorites. What sound do you hate? Uh well I have a daughter, so I really hated the baby crying sound. <laughs> I, I mean I, i'm a good dad i was the one that would get up in the middle of the night probably because i hated the sound so much i would get up in the middle of the night and like walk her up and down the hall when she was like one one year old and or was, like six months and until she fell asleep and i did that because i love her but also yeah that that sound is just so like ear shattering and like i i have to address it <laughs> when, when jim carrey in dumb and dumber says you know what the most annoying sound in the world is i agree with that
0: what is your favorite food
1: indulgence? Food indulgence. Yes. Uh, so like a dessert or like just like a guilty pleasure. You pick. I really like, um, we, <clears throat> so, uh, we harvest, um, uh, We we go out and forage, I should say, um, like wild berries out in the woods uh, uh, during the summer months. And I have a few precious jars of what are called trailing blackberry jam that my fiance makes. And it is amazing. And it takes so much time to gather because they're not, it's not like the Himalayan blackberries where they're all in just like giant clusters by the side of the road. You actually like have to like get down and like bend over. And they're around ankle height, like, all over the forest floor. It takes a long, long time to gather, like, a significant number of them. But one, when, when you do and you turn that into jam, it is, oh, it's nothing better. It's so good. It's the best berry I've ever tasted. And so few people have tried it. And honestly, that kind of makes it a little bit better because I know, like, I'm one of, like, 16 people on the planet that actually has, like, a jar of this jam from this fruit. So... It kind of feels special. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's so good. Trailing blackberry jam is amazing. <laughs> uh, Only do it though if you have a lot of free time.
0: <laughs> do you? Well, so what do you know about this plant? Does it? Is it? So I'm high. I'm at f- almost five thousand feet, and you guys are maybe what one or two.
1: I'm at yeah. Uh, I'm in the Columbia Gorge uh, on the Columbia River right. Pretty close to the water, so, about at 150 feet. Right. So
0: I, I know that some plants are pretty particular about where they grow. Do you know? Does it grow this high? Uh,
1: I think it grows high, but I think it, it's also the climate. If you're in kind of a deserty spot, well, that the, it, it grows on like the, the, the forest uh, floor, you know, where it rains quite a bit so uh, i don't i don't think you'll find too much forest. I got, up there. rain
0: i don't this is after all the high desert so
1: <laughs> yeah I, I haven't done too much foraging out in the high plains desert but uh i know there is stuff to find out there but um i'm not sure what it is
0: well it sounds like it isn't trailing blackberries so now i have to see what i can do to find some of this stuff because i'm we we have the i don't i admit i don't know all the varieties here but we have wild blackberries everywhere around me right. going even to Bedford and ashland they're everywhere but uh and they're quite good they make no mistake they're quite tasty uh but this sounds interesting and i just right. discovered now I, I need to talk to this guy um so obviously morels are here and chanterelles and i've seen people with hen of the woods and um and they, pretty much any wild mushroom you could think of grows here including white truffles Mm-hmm. So Oregon white truffles are not the Alba Italian white truffles. Those are those are the king of the mountain. They ain't nothing better. They're four thousand dollars a kilo or something ridiculous. Right. But the, the, there's a guy here who who knows them, turns them into oil, and so wow, well, this is fascinating. So Oregon is getting really better in my eyes for its foodstuffs. And wine and beer, but how the how did with all of these anti authoritarian folks, how did we get Kate? And I have no, there's no answer to that question, but good grief.
1: Yeah, I, I think the problem too is while it's definitely true that Oregon used to be filled or have not filled but have more of those like anti authoritarian counterculture people uh we've been a little bit diluted by you know massive amounts of people moving here from like larger population states like california and florida that don't really share that that uh proclivity towards anti-authoritarianism so what people that were like that that used to live here i mean portland's population has like more than doubled since i was a kid and that those were definitely not mostly you know counterculture you know bikers or hipsters that opened up uh, you know a dive bar in southeast portland that's, uh, or like some weird little portlandia skit-esque business it's not like that anymore um and so i think that's what honestly has led to the kind of politicians we've got we've got more of you know your kind of hive mind uh you know neoliberal type politicians now in charge because they were just we've just been outnumbered
0: well yes that part is absolutely true uh, normally I would ask about a book recommendation and you've given one uh, is this the place can you plug LPMC or is there another resource website resource you can think of for people in their, in their state or town who say, you know, I want to, I like this idea. I want to find the people who agree with me on these issues and work toward fixing them or at least addressing them. Um, Is the LPMC the place to start for that or is there something else?
1: Yeah. You know, uh, you know, actually this weekend, we're going to be having our first uh, like online zoom meeting for our Oregon chapter of the LPMC. Uh, and we're, we've got like nearly 20 brand new people who are, and one guy even told me, he said like, I almost deleted your email, but then I saw that it was Mises caucus. And I was like, yeah, I'm super into it. Yeah. Like I wasn't going to join the libertarian party, but you guys, you know, uh, you know, if your guys is if you guys are honest and you really want to, you know, bring the LP to like a more defiant, you know, hardcore libertarian stance, I, I'm, I'm in. So we're going to have like 20 new members that we're going to be onboarding just for our Oregon chapter this weekend. So it's Sweet. it's it's bumping. Yeah, I, I keep on getting emails that more people have signed up. And and you can go and uh, sign up for the caucus. And if you're in Oregon, it'll route your sign up to me. If you go to LP uh, Mises Caucus, uh, Mises is spelled M-I-S-E-S, and caucus.com, Um It'll it'll take you there. There'll be a sign up. You can donate if you want to, but you don't have to donate in order to get on the list and uh, go come to our meetings. So uh, there's also a platform there. You can read. You can be like, hey, what do these guys believe? And you can read our platform uh, and see if you agree with it. And one of the things about the caucus and the reason why I went and tried to uh, you know establish a coalition with the Greens is that one of our main things about our caucus is establishing coalitions. Like that's like our primary mission. It's in our mission statement to go out and find these issue coalitions and forge them. So uh, yeah, that's why I, I was one of the things besides it's this is caucus is very hardcore anti-war is that they wanted to build coalitions and that was one of their primary functions. And that's kind of what made me like, you know what I'm I'm in and I'm, I'm going to be a member of this caucus. Sweet.
0: Uh, will the Zoom call be recorded and stored someplace for people to view after it airs?
1: You know, this one might be kind of chaotic and I'm definitely not going to like record minutes from it. I have like a kind of a loose agenda and this is really more just to kind of like create, um, you know, a spot for people to like vent, socialize and uh, get kind of connect with each other. Okay. So we probably won't have a recording of it but uh we'll have we'll try to have them pretty often we'll have them once a month but um yeah it's uh i i can't guarantee it's going to be a, a very enjoyable thing to watch or listen to cuz i've never done it before but we're we're going to we're going to give it a-, a try okay
0: well when when this comes out that event will have already happened so
1: right so we'll have an uh, one uh I-, I think in uh next month too so if you they didn't get to be in the first one. No problem being in the second one. the The national party has a, um, a convention that I'm trying to help coordinate uh, for the spring, uh, and uh, this will these these couple these first couple of meetings are going to be a lot a lot of talking about that about you know if anyone can come be a delegate to our state party convention, uh, how, how to get them there and. Uh, what we're going to be doing.
0: Cool. Uh, is there a way people can contact you specifically?
1: Yeah, I have an email if uh, people would like to email me questions or something. Um, my email is uh, OregonLPMC at gmail.com. Excellent. And I will put that on the show notes page.
0: And that, again, is culinarylibertarian.com slash 125. All right. Well, I have kept you almost as long as you said you can be kept. So I'm going to end here. Thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate the accommodation. All right. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. And I will be talking to you soon. See you surely on Facebook or somewhere. (laughs) I'll be around. All right. Thanks, Will. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. All right, folks, that's going to do it. As mentioned, the links will be on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 125. There will be a link there to Scott Horton's new book, Enough Already, and I'll add a link to a post I republished with permission of 30 articles about what it is to think like a libertarian. Please share this episode on your social media feeds especially if you see the value of stepping off the spinning wheel and want to work toward achieving something. And if you would, when you see this post on social media, give it a like. Also, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.